But what we are exposed to is tremendously increased electromagnetic environment, artificial electromagnetic environment. And, 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 and this is due to the interference with electrical currents in the cells of our body. And in particular, with those three major diseases, they're caused by interference with tiny, tiny electrical currents in the mitochondria of every cell, in every body, of every human and every animal. EMF Remedy is dedicated to helping you understand which electromagnetic threats are present in your home. And whether in the context of your current home, one you're considering for purchase, or building a new home with comprehensive protection designed in, EMF Remedy can help you reduce your family's exposure to harmful, man-made electromagnetic radiation. Hi, this is Keith Cutter with EMFRemedy.com, host of the EMF Remedy podcast. Whether you are looking to take a precautionary approach to your personal or your family exposure to harmful man-made electromagnetic radiation, or whether you must, as a life priority, make immediate changes to your electromagnetic environment, you are in the right place. Today we have something entirely different for the first time in our podcast, we have spent almost 100% of our time looking at specific solutions. We are not problem-focused. Focusing only on problems leads to fear. Fear is not productive. We want to replace fear with knowledge and a plan. So today is all about knowledge. I find in my work day-to-day, even people who have been terribly affected by EMF sometimes really don't understand how it all works to, to cause harm to not only people, but plants and animals, insects. So today, um, we have a world's expert in this field. I'm not aware of anyone in the world more qualified than Arthur Furstenberg to talk about the historical impacts of the reckless spread of harmful man-made electromagnetic radiation. His 40-plus years of surviving electromagnetic poisoning, his medical background, his keen intellect, and his multi-decade campaign to bring awareness to the harm that is being caused not only to people, but to plants, animals, and insects, as well as the zeal with which he approaches his research. All of these things enable him to speak not only about what has happened in the past, but the inescapable conclusion that our current habits with regard to technologies are unsustainable. I can help you in improving your living environment. 
reducing personal or family exposure to harmful man-made electromagnetic radiation today. We can do that. But what we've never talked about before, one day, if as a society we continue in the direction we're headed, I don't know what to say. We need to consider our children and grandchildren. The current path society is traveling is unsustainable, especially wireless, especially wireless of of all forms. So this is a longer well, let me let me encourage you please listen to the end all the way to the end of this conversation. It is a longer conversation. In about maybe the first 20 minutes, we lay the groundwork. What is legitimate? The natural electromagnetic environment of the earth. The next maybe 20 minutes or so, we talk about the history of man's use of electrically based commercial implementations and what happened Step by step, as the telegraph, the power grid, the telephone, wireless radio, radar, first generation of satellites were deployed. What happened? What is the unmistakable signature? The cost that we're paying? What's the tie to the diseases of civilization? heart disease, diabetes, cancer. By the way, those were the three that Arthur was referring to in the clip at the beginning there. Lots of miscellaneous um, tidbits along the way as well. Next, we talk about how much information and from what sources we had with regard to the potential harm from RF radiation in particular, and how we went ahead and implemented cell phone technology and other wireless, which requires anyone wanting to use such technologies to live in an unnatural radiation environment 24-7, every place they go, particularly cell phones. And the rest of us who know better No way to escape this radiation inside our homes without modification or outside our homes at all. Finally, we talk about what it will take to make a change and what you can do to help easily. One of the most important conversations I've ever published I hope you enjoy my conversation with Arthur Furstenberg. Here we go. My guest today is Arthur Furstenberg. He's the author of The Invisible Rainbow, A History of Electricity and Life. Arthur graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Cornell with a degree in mathematics and attended UC Irvine's School of Medicine from 1978 through 82. 
injury by X-ray overdose cut short his medical career. For 40 years, he's been a researcher, consultant, and lecturer on the health and environmental effects of electromagnetic radiation as well as a practitioner of several healing arts. Arthur, welcome to the EMF Remedy Podcast. Thank you for having me. I like the title of your book, Invisible Rainbow, because there is something more, much more than the colors of the rainbow. We can see that comprise what is sometimes called the electromagnetic spectrum. I have here with me right now two common dictionaries, two different publishers, one published in the late 70s, the other in the late 80s, common dictionaries. When I look up the word light as a noun, there are two definitions. The first definition offers a range of wavelengths within the electromagnetic spectrum covering the the rainbow everyone is familiar with, from red through orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo through violet, visible light, what we can see with our eyes. The second definition of light, which may surprise some people, is the entire electromagnetic spectrum, which honestly is so vast, I find it difficult to describe the breadth of it. Is this the invisible rainbow, your, your book is about? Basically, yes. Electromagnetic spectrum that runs our universe infinitely greater than the visible spectrum that we can see with our eyes. 20 or 30 orders of magnitude greater than, than, than the tiny amount of spectrum between red and, and violet. When we look at, I guess what I'll call the legit, legitimate forms of electromagnetic radiation, those associated with life, those that we've had on Earth for millennia. I think of things like the Schumann resonance. And it has a very long wavelength, a very low frequency compared to light. And it's the size of, uh, it, it's the resonant frequency of the Earth. So yes, that's the size of those waves are the size of the Earth. And then the, the wavelength of uh, light itself, we're talking about much less than the width of a piece of paper. Yes, <laughs> indeed. So that's, that's how sort of, well, that's one picture of how vast this, this electromagnetic is. And then we have gamma rays, which are much shorter, that, that come from all over outer space. So can you... Um, can you give us a feeling for what are the legitimate forms? What are the enduring forms of electromagnetic radiation that we've had on the Earth for millennia? Well, we have the majority of what we have concentrated in the visible and infrared spectrum that comes from the sun. We have present very tiny amounts of what we now call radio waves, of which the microwave spectrum is a large part, compared to the light spectrum and the infrared spectrum and the ultraviolet spectrum, not very much of it comes from the sun and stars, and almost none of it comes from the Earth. The, the, 
the lower frequencies uh, are generated by lightning, the very low components of the lightning spectrum is amplified again by the resonance of, of the earth, the size of the earth. So the Schumann resonances are 8 hertz, 16 hertz, 20, 26, 32. That's, that's cycles per second um, to, uh, are, are, are much shorter. And, and infrared and, and visible light are even much shorter than that. They're measured in angstroms. But we have the whole spectrum here. We just compared to what comes from visible light from the sun, it, it's, it's not very powerful. So not, not so very... The very low frequencies are much more powerful. And again, we have that uh, largely from, from lightning and thunderstorms. So the lightning energizes the Earth itself, is that correct? Well, it's part of the global electrical circuit, yes. We, we have electricity flowing through the ionosphere above us. and We have... Uh, it, it's a whole circuit. It, it circulates through the sky through the portion of the sky called the ionosphere and down to the earth on ions, atmospheric ions, which actually that electric circuit travels through our bodies and into the earth and beneath our feet through the earth and back up to the sky during thunderstorms on lightning strokes. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a whole electromagnetic environment that we live in that, that Actually, our bodies run on. Our, our nervous system is electrical in nature. Our acupuncture meridians are electrical in nature. The, the, the cells of our body communicate with one another in the electromagnetic spectrum. It's, it, it's, a, it, it's a part of reality that is not very much paid attention to by mainstream science. Electricity runs the universe. The, the, there, there are two... In physics, we have... Four fundamental core, fundamental forces, two of which only operate in atomic nuclei, and the rest of the universe runs on gravity and electricity. We study that in physics, but it's mostly ignored in the sciences that give us our technology. It's ignored in medicine. It's ignored in chemists. It's even ignored very large part by by astronomers, even though uh, when you study physics, those are the two forces that you deal with, electromagnetism and gravity. Gravity is what holds the universe together. Electromagnetism is what makes it alive. Do you see a correlation between the the electromagnetic environment between the Earth and the sky and what we see in people and other animals where we have a, a voltage gradient between the sort of heaven and earth and also a voltage gradient, for example, between the sole of our foot and the, the top of our head. It, it's, a, it's in miniature what goes on on the planet. The voltage gradient between the Folds of our feet and the top of our head is uh, measured in, in millivolts. The, the voltage gradient between the surface of the Earth and the ionosphere measured in volts. It's, a, it's about 130 volts per meter on average in fair weather. And, and that reverses polarity 
in thunderstorms. Uh, that's that's what completes the circuit of the Earth. So that is a normal part of the environment for us is is to dwell in that space between that that electric field with, as you yeah, say, the, the sky about is positive with with respect to the Earth, the tops of our our head. The top of our head is positive with respect to the soles of our feet. We're, we're part of that circuit. And I guess what I would like to get out there as well is when we talk about 130 volts per meter, that's, that's, a, that's a very strong electric field, but it is fundamentally different than what we think of when we're talking about electric fields, say, with regard to EMF remediation, because that's alternating current electricity, which, please correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think really exists in nature the way, you know, as we have it in our commercial implementation of electric power. So That, that is correct. Yes. <laughs> we do not live with it. The Earth is not uh, AC. It's it's D, basically DC. We we live in a uh, DC magnetic field of the Earth. We live in, in, in a DC electric field between Earth and sky. However, people often make the mistake of thinking that just because the Earth is DC, that DC artificial DC is not harmful, and, that, and that's not correct either. Evolved. In a DC environment, our bodies are exquisitely sensitive to minute variations in the DC field. So, so that uh, AC is foreign to our bodies. It's like we, we don't even, but, but ourselves recognize variations in the DC environment. So, so th this was discovered a couple of centuries ago. That around the year 1800, that, that even a, a, a one-volt electric battery has demonstrable effects on, on biology. You, you, you put a, a one-volt potential difference to your tongue, you can taste it. You put it to, to your eye, you can see it. It produces flashes of light. And, and, and we, we pretend that it doesn't affect us at all. I, for 10 years, lived in an off-grid environment, so we made our own electricity, and it was during the time that I lived off-grid, and partially, I would argue, because of the power from off-grid living that, that um, culminated my 30-plus years of um, suffering from electromagnetic poisoning. Uh, I don't prefer the term EHS. But anyway, as part of that whole journey, I did try to then switch over to a DC-only existence, so no alternating current in the home, just DC. And I agree personally with, with and can relate personally to what you're saying that we do make this assumption that somehow since DC is really all we observe in life, that somehow our implementation of it for 
or power utilization is not necessarily not necessarily a good idea. But getting back to what we were uh, talking about with regard to what's natural in the Earth, we have this electric field, a direct current electric field, which we live in. We see this voltage gradient in people and in animals, um, and it's direct current, as you mentioned. We also see that in plants and trees. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct, yeah. And, and trees being very tall compared to us, the larger voltage gradient between their tops and bottoms than we do. It is, so, and in fact, uh, that, that's probably a factor in uh, attracting rain out of clouds, as I say in my book, because uh, ordinary rain carries a positive charge and it's attracted down to the earth by the earth's negative charge. And since trees stick up high, they, they attract rain out of the clouds into the earth. And when you cut down forests, you reduce rain not only because of the reduction in evaporation, but because of the reduction in electrical attraction. So we have these uh, this electric field that is normal and is natural. It's direct current in nature. We also have a a very strong and obvious static DC magnetic field, and as you've already mentioned briefly, a collection of DC magnetic fields that are that are fluctuating, and those are part of what is uh, normal to the Earth. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. And so the very obvious, very strong magnetic field you can see with the compass. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, a lot of animals use that uh, magnetic field to navigate. Uh, marine animals, tur turtles and fish, birds use Earth's magnetic field to, to navigate through the air. Insects, bees use it to some extent to, to find uh, sources of food. So we, we have um, what's normal and natural, direct current electric fields, direct current strong magnetic field that doesn't vary, and then the Schumann resonances that do vary. The magnetic field does vary over the surface of the Earth, depending on where you live. The direction and the magnitude of the Earth's magnetic field is different. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm sorry. I meant um, in one place. Correct, yes. Yeah, it doesn't vary, but the Schumann resonances... Varies all the time. Yeah, and it is not like an alternating current magnetic field where in one moment north is north and the next moment north is south and south is north and that reverses in North America 60 times a second. It isn't like that. It's it's a variation in the field strength. In other words, in the, the field, field strength, but it's a constant 8 hertz and 14 hertz and 20 hertz. Um, that, those frequencies bathe all of life on Earth and have since the beginning 
of the earth billions of years ago and we evolved with them and our brain waves are attuned to the Schumann resonances that the, the dividing point between alpha and beta waves what is it alpha is 8 to 14 hertz and 8 hertz is the first Schumann resonance and 14 hertz is the second Schumann resonance and above that is called beta waves and, uh, that, that's the, the state of alertness and alpha is a state of calmness and, and sleep and meditation and, um, and, and this has been found to be true of basically all vertebrate organisms all mammals and, and frogs and lizards you measure them and their, their brain waves are, are also almost the same frequencies as ours they're bounded by by the first two Schumann resonances but, but bad things happen when you uh, imitate the Schumann resonances for, for example when you start to have uh, wireless communication that's modulated at frequencies similar to but not exactly the same as the Schumann resonances, you, you alter your brain waves. You, 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 uh, you do things to your brain, you put people, you can put people in a trance with the proper frequencies that are close enough to the Schumann resonances. We're doing all sorts of things to our minds and our bodies with our computers and, and our, uh, our cell phones that, that we're not even aware of. The subconscious level, because uh, we're messing with the frequencies that, are, that 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 our nervous system depends on. Does the human brain have a frequency following response? I, I believe some experiments were done. I think by Andrew Marino, where you could observe the brain with uh, EEG and then introduce a modulated RF signal that was a and, little and, bit... Yeah, the brain, the brain responds instantaneously. It does. Mm -hmm. and I, I was in touch in the late 1990s. I was in touch with a psychologist in Massachusetts, that what his name was, um, who was doing some experiments monitoring the EEG of people when they were on their computers, and this was this was before wireless computers. Wireless computers were didn't start until about two thousand and one. He saw that the pattern of the electroencephalogram when somebody turned on their computer strongly resembled a, a trance state, so that the the frequencies that, that people, and, and, and we've forgotten this, that, that uh, everybody's concerned about, about the RF radiation from wireless technology. We, we have forgotten that ordinary computer screens emit powerful electromagnetic uh, frequencies, not, not, not deliberately wireless so that they don't radiate in the far field through space necessarily, but but you stick you're in their field. Did they put you in a trance state? He proved that. Great, great point. So, Ken, is there any reason to believe 
even if one has disabled what the FCC would call intentional radiators, you know, transmitters within a computer for Wi-Fi or for Bluetooth or, or any other intentional emission, even if you've eliminated those in a computational device, a computer, is there any reason to believe that the computer itself is harmless? Um, no, in, in fact, we used to have an organization called the EMR Alliance back in the 1980s, and it uh, it disappeared around 1998, 1999, the beginning of the wireless revolution. It was created because of the harm from, it was created to address the harm from, from power lines, and computers, and computers which came into our lives uh, in 1977. Earlier than that, for for businesses like newspapers, but uh, personal computers came into our lives in 1977. And uh, the EMR Alliance was formed uh, in the 1980s to address the problems from computers and power lines. I believe after the introduction in 1977 of the the personal computer that for the first time the incidence of asthma increased it had, had been decreasing slowly over time is that right the incidence of asthma reversed its trend yeah it had been decreasing year after year for decades and it started to rise in that year people wouldn't normally associate asthma with anything to do with the electromagnetic spectrum yeah, it's not something that, that is widely talked about, but that's one of the first effects actually back in the 18th century when electricity was used only for therapeutic purposes. Electrotherapy became, uh, when, when electricity was first harnessed as static electricity before we had DC or AC, people learned how to store static electricity in jars of water and, and administer them to patients. And uh, one of the undesirable effects that was noticed in some people is it gave them asthma, asthmatic attacks. So this has been known for centuries. And the practitioners that, that uh, administered the electricity were called electricians. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And one of the founding fathers, so to speak, uh, a signer of the Declaration of Independence, became, if we want to use this terminology, electrically sensitive from use of just static electricity in those days. Is that right? You're talking about Benjamin Franklin? Yeah. 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 He, he, he did not himself recognize it, but he had uh, health problems from the time he started experimenting with with electricity. I believe he said in a letter to a friend that he, he can't tolerate uh, it in the least amount any longer. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I, I think he did. So we had these, these early experiments with static electricity, which is, again, it's a direct current occurring in nature, but they were storing it in these Leyden jars. And there was this idea that electricity was the vital force. It, it is what am, animates our flesh. Electrical forces are inseparable from life and living, right? Like when your EKG shows, or ECG shows no activity, you're not living, right? That's correct. 
that's that's how they uh, monitor whether a patient has uh, has departed or not. For brainwaves too, you you, you hook up uh, hospital patients to with electrodes to an EEG and an EKG, and when those stop, you're 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 no longer alive. Um, uh, I say nowadays electricity is the life force. It, it was thought to be the life force or related to the life force, even by Isaac Newton. And uh, I think there's evidence that that's so. This is what animates the stars. It's what animates the Earth and the solar system. And it's what goes through our bodies and is regulates and, and all our life's processes. It's present when we live. It's not present when we die. We see it not only in the heart and the brain, but at the site, like myelogram and monitors your muscles, yeah. We see it, uh, voltage gradient develop um, at the site of an injury. Becker That's correct, did, yeah. Yeah, Becker did some, the author of The Body Electric, did some work on non-union of bones when bones didn't heal normally. He applied a small voltage. Some of the bones began to heal. So that, there is this... So that, um, that, that is used nowadays uh, in hospitals practically every hospital for, to stimulate bone healing. So there's this intimate connection between electricity, DC electricity, and, and life. And um, yeah. then we began to do commercial implementations of technologies that rely on electricity. And I would say every one of them has been without regard for life or health, but let's start back in the 19th century with with the telegraph. You would think it's not a big deal. They're just sending messages from one place or another, but when they installed the telegraph lines, were there problems? Did people get sick? Oh, yes. Uh, it was a disease that was called neurasthenia that was first written about the 1860s. And uh, the symptoms of it were pretty much identical to the symptoms that people who call themselves electrically sensitive nowadays uh, complain of. And that was the first telegraph systems were invented in the 1840s. And then during the 1850s and 1860s, millions of miles of telegraph wires were strung around the world. And Suddenly, there was this new disease called neurasthenia that was written about, specialized in by doctors, and uh, nobody could find a physical cause for it. Of course, they weren't looking at electricity. Um, the, the, one of the big problems with, with early telegraph systems is they used the earth as the return path for the electricity, so there was, they were one-wire systems, and uh, you sent your, your telegraph message over the outgoing wire, and the return current came through the earth entirely. So if you lived in an area that was served by a telegraph wire, you were living basically in a DC, pretty strong DC electric field. And uh, for 30-some-odd years, People hunted high and low for a cause for this disease, and it, and, and it, 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 it uh, 
a lot of famous people suffered from it, e even in, in the 20th century. Uh, as I recall, Woodrow Wilson suffered from it. And there, there were all sorts of famous people that suffered from it. But around the turn of the 20th century, Sigmund Freud declared that this was not a physical disease, it was a mental disease, and he named it anxiety disorder. And anxiety disorder was basically invented by Freud as a, another name for neurasthenia, which was never described in the literature until telegraph systems were widespread. And we're living with anxiety disorder today since it was basically invented by Freud. Well, I received that label personally back in the 80s with the rollout of the first generation 1G cell phones. And I was unable to make a correlation for over three decades. So I, li I lived personally with that. And then when I found out about this correlation between man-made, harmful man-made electromagnetic radiation and health, after remediating the home that I was in, this lifelong experience with anxiety disorder didn't get better. It, it vanished entirely, as did some other other symptoms. But let's go back to, uh, we were talking about telegraph. Let's talk a little bit about the, the power grid. So we had the rollout of the power grid beginning in the end of the 19th century. And a case could be made that the diseases of modern civilization followed the rollout of electric service. Um, that, that is correct, yeah. AC electricity was rolled out beginning in the year, exactly in the year 1889. And 1889 was the year of the first modern influenza pandemic. And I studied influenza and wrote about it in my book. Um, and every major influenza epidemic since 1889 has coincided and been caused by a major advance in wireless communication, in, in elect electrical, first in, in 1889 with, with the spread of AC electricity around the world, um, which, by the way, doctors were baffled by symptoms of influenza because most doctors had never seen a case or they hadn't seen a case in 30 or 40 years. Influenza was not a yearly disease until the year 1889. It's starting in 1889 everywhere in the world. It happened on a yearly basis in the winter. Somewhat different in the tropics, but it was a yearly disease since that year. In 1918, it followed immediately upon the entry of the United States into World War I with our unprecedented use of wireless communication. That was the beginning of widespread wireless in the year 1918. That was the Spanish influenza in the year 1957 was the implementation of radar for civil defense. The United States and other major countries started to line shores of their country with these extremely powerful radar facilities. In 1968 was another influenza epidemic that coincided with the launching of the first uh, constellation of military satellites for military communication. So that's influenza. I also have chapters in my book on, on uh, diabetes and heart disease and cancer. Those, those are the three major diseases sprung up 
in the 20th century, basically out of nowhere, except it's not out of nowhere, out of the exponential development of electromagnetic technology and in the very late 20th century of wireless, which, which has increased our, our electromagnetic load tremendously. And uh, as I go into my book, the, the first book, first medical book about diabetes, what was it published in 1788 or something, um, was written by a doctor who had only ever seen two cases of diabetes in his life. It was very, it was the same disease, but it was extremely rare. And it was not because the world's diet has changed dramatically, that, that we're eating uh, a thousand times more sugar than we were then. No, that, that's not true at all. We had plenty of sugar. And we're not getting tremendously less amount of, of exercise. But what we are exposed to is tremendously increased electromagnetic environment, artificial electromagnetic environment. And, 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 I, and this is due to the interference with electrical currents in the cells of our body. And in particular, with those three major diseases, they're caused by interference with tiny, tiny electrical currents in the mitochondria of every cell, in every body, of every human and every animal. And that electron transport system is the final step in the metabolism of our food. And if you interfere with metabolism, you can't digest sugars as efficiently as you used to. It accumulates in your blood. You excrete it in your urine. It's called diabetes. You can't digest fats as efficiently as you used to. And it gets deposited in your arteries and in your coronary arteries if you get heart disease. And cancer cells thrive in the absence of oxygen. So what is metabolism? It's the burning of food that you eat with the oxygen that you breathe and the electron transport system in your mitochondria transports electrons from the digestion of your food to the oxygen you breathe. And interference with the electron transport chains effectively starves you to some degree of oxygen. And that predisposes to cancer, and it's why cancer rates are skyrocketing, and why in America, the majority of Americans, what is it, one out of three or even one out of two, I think, are getting cancer at some point during their life. Um, the, and the, and the interference with metabolism has also lowered our body temperature, it's, a, it's about a degree below, on average, 98.6 degrees nowadays. It actually has the effect of lengthening your lifespan because it slows your metabolism. It has all these effects, in, among which are these tremendous pandemics of disease. So all of this happened as a result of commercial implementations of technologies that rely on electricity. Changing the electromagnetic environment has resulted in a change in our cellular metabolism. Correct. So that yes. <clears throat> our cellular metabolism <clears throat> and the functioning of our nervous system and, and organs. So Samuel Milham wrote a book called Dirty Electricity, and he was a medical doctor and an epidemiologist and published I don't know, 80 or more peer-reviewed papers. 
And he was really troubled because I can't remember if it was his internship or his residency, but he saw a ward full of young children, I believe it was three, four-year-old kids that had leukemia. And this was, this was just unprecedented. He went through his career and I think it always stayed in the back of his mind, according to his book and trying to revolve what, what caused this. I, you're familiar with his work and I think you looked at um, his research as well. And would you like to talk yeah. about that? Yeah, um, that's where I got uh, the idea for for my re- a lot of my research was was from Sam Millam's uh, work, and he also noticed a, a vast increase in uh, diabetes and heart disease and cancer. Those are the three diseases he focused on as a result of of electrification in this country during during the 30s and 40s. I took that work and I, and I investigated it in a lot more detail and, and confirmed what, what he, uh, he said. So we have all of that. Um, we have all of that history. So it, it, it was not unknown that people who lived near telegraph lines were becoming ill. It was not unknown that telegraph operators were becoming ill. The same thing telephone with operators telephone operators you know, when, when the telephone came in. Yes, yeah. All of them. And then with the, um, you know, Samuel Millam's methodology was to study cities that were similar. From an epidemiological standpoint, they were similar. And then he looked at, at what happened when one was electrified before the other, and he, he came up with these, these correlations that we've, we've just discussed. And then, as, as you've already mentioned, influenza became a recurring thing where it might have had gaps in history of 70 years or 40 years or, or, or whatever. It became a recurring thing to the there, point. There are also a lot of studies that have been done showing that influenza epidemics tend to come at the peak of solar cycles. Right. That when there is more solar radiation, those are the years throughout history for, for hundreds and thousands of years in the past. That's when influenza epidemics tended to occur. Right, right. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Except now we have it. Except now we have it yearly. And up until recently... <laughs> it was in, not a yearly disease back then. Yeah. Um, influenza-like illness is something that was reported every year as, as, a, as a cause of death. Am, am I right about that? It has been since 1889, yes. We have all this information, uh, all this awareness and there was an awareness when radio became you mentioned the so-called spanish flu epidemic when shortwave radio was actually those were long wave oh were they long wave okay i was mobilized for world war ii and that's why it spread over the entire earth that year because the long wave can travel over the whole earth, especially the, these powerful long wave stations that were operated by the Navy. How about the way the uh, radio waves that were emitted on the Isle of Man first? We had well, that uh, was uh, the location of Marconi's first radio station, first permanent radio station. That was the first permanent radio station in the world. It was he basically invented the radio and he opened up his first radio station on the Isle of Man. And um, one of the 
amazing things that happened is uh, all of the honeybees on the island disappeared. <laughs> they, they died. Um, this was the year 1904. They brought in scientists from universities to come and, and find out why all the honeybees were dead. And uh, they did not find the cause. And, they, and they, the, the, Isle of, of, the Isle of Man or the Isle of White? Oh, did I get that wrong? It's the Isle of Wight, okay. um, off the southern coast of England. Thank you. And they brought in fresh honeybees from colonies on the mainland, and those fresh honeybees were dying within a week. Basically, 90% of the honeybees on the entire island, which is like 20 miles long, had disappeared. Um, and they called it Isle of Wight disease, and it spread around the world. Um, with the spread of, of radio, except that nobody noticed the correlation. And, and it, it, it became, uh, it was renamed in the 1950s as disappearing disease, and it was renamed in the 1990s as colony collapse disorder. And this is what they're calling it nowadays. And way back during that first instance in the 20th century, they... We're looking into the variola mite, I believe, as a suspected culprit then, as well as, you know, most recently with the colony collapse disorder. They, they like to blame it on mites, yes. Yeah. And any, any, anything other than a dramatic change in the electromagnetic environment that supports life, I suppose. Right. And, and, and when it has been studied... When those mites, when colonies with mites and colonies without mites have been studied, scientists could find no difference in the mortality rate of the bees between bees that had mites and bees that didn't have mites. But yet, apiologists are attached, very much attached to that as the cause. All right, let's, um, let's talk about cell phones. We've talked about the telegraph, the electric grid, the advent of radio, and of course, wireless Television would it be about that same era, and you talked about the the dramatic effect of radar people, and then as well the first generation of satellites. So now we need to talk about cell phones. So I guess what I'm what I'm pointing at is we had this incredible amount of data available to everybody. It really hadn't been correlated or promoted, but the data was out there as to not only human harm but harm to animals and even plants. There was also work by Zori Glazer. Am I pronouncing his name correctly? Zori Glazer, yes. And he had um, created a, is it, was it a bibliography? Is that what it was called? Yes, he, he, uh, he was hired by the Navy, U.S. Navy. He, he was, a, I think, a lieutenant in the Navy, and he was hired to do a search of the world's literature on the effects of uh, electromagnetic fields on, on biology, the biological effects of, of actually, it was, it was hard, the biological effects of radio waves and microwaves, radio frequency and microwave radiation. He put out his first bibliography in the year 1970, and he produced uh, supplements virtually every year throughout the 1970s, and he cataloged for the Navy 5,083 studies by the end of the 1970s. 
when I looked at his bibliography and compared it to the studies that I'm familiar with nowadays, I, I, I estimated that he had found probably about half the world's literature on biological effects of radio frequency and microwaves. So by the end of the 1970s, that means there were about 10,000 studies that had been done throughout the world on a topic that even today, public doesn't even know exists. It's just incredible. Then we had an American biologist by the name of Alan Frey, who discovered that microwave radiation damages a blood-brain barrier, which he published. Alan Frey is, is still with us. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. I did. I'm sorry. I didn't realize. Um, thank you. So he pub he published that in 1975, and if I'm not mistaken, that was you know non-thermal um, levels of RF radiation damaging the blood-brain barrier. He showed in sixty levels much lower than than what a cell phone exposes people's brains to, and that animals could hear microwaves in 1961. Yes, and that rats could be made to become docile um, with the small amount of RF radiation in 76 and altering the heart rate of frogs at a small amount of RF and causing heart arrhythmias and <laughs> just, you know, it goes on he and on. Was able to, he was able to stop the hearts of frogs by timing microwave pulses at a specific point to the heart's rhythm. Was that the ST interval? It's the ST interval. I, I think I think you're correct. I think that, that was where he tried to time the the, uh, the pulses. So it isn't as though we didn't have an, ab an abundance of research indicating that there was harm, but then we went ahead and, and implemented the cell phone, um, and the first generation of cell phones came out around 85, depending on where. Let's talk for just a minute about what it takes to have two people anywhere on the earth talk to one another over a cell phone. So we're going to assume two individuals have cell phones and they want to speak to one another. The first requirement is that those two people live in an artificial electromagnetic environment. And what I mean by that is no service, no cell phone. That service that we, we use that word today to describe being in a completely unnatural electromagnetic environment uh, created by your nearby cell phone tower. Is Would you agree? Well, it's yes, it, but it's not the same as paralytes or wired computers. Yes, those put you in a strong electromagnetic field, but wireless means that that electromagnetic field is intentionally radiated through space to get from one point to another. In other words, you're no longer communicating through wires. You're now communicating through space, and a traveling electromagnetic wave is a form of radiation. So what people have to understand is that wireless Beads radiation. So in order for your cell phone to work, first of all, your cell phone has to emit radiation. That radiation has to travel to a cell tower, which has to receive it, 
and that cell tower has to transmit signals back to your cell phone, and that signal is radiation. And the cell tower, until 5G came along anyway, used to radiate in all directions. So in order to make a phone call, your cell phone has to radiate your entire environment because it's not directional. And the cell tower that it communicates with has to radiate its entire environment. So in order for you to make a cell phone call, you have to live or for you to be able to make a cell phone call at home, you have to live in a sea of radiation. If the radiation was not there, you would not be able to use your cell phone. You have to add to the radiation because your cell phone emits radiation. And your cell phone basically turns on the cell tower, which people don't understand either. That when nobody's on their phone, the cell tower emits a setup signal because it has to be ready to receive signals from people's cell phones. But in the middle of the night when nobody's on their phone, the cell tower is pretty quiet. When you make a, a cell phone call, you are turning on a signal in the nearest cell tower so that it can communicate with you and you are irradiating your entire neighborhood in order to make your cell phone call. And in the middle of the day, or especially in rush hour or on weekends, when everybody is on their cell phone, those cell towers are working at maximum capacity and they're irradiating everybody and everything with hundreds of different signals and frequencies and modulation patterns. And it's invisible and people have no clue as to what is required in order for the cell phone network to even exist. It's become an intimate part of everybody's life who lives in cell phone service. <laughs> you know. So and if, and if you want to and if you want to have your cell phone on the road with you in case of an emergency, the only way that that is of any use to you is if there are cell phone towers everywhere you go, even in remote places, in parks and wilderness areas, because that's where you're going to have emergencies the most. And you are demanding the irradiation of the entire planet. And, and that's what I am have been working to bring awareness to. And what I'm working nowadays with other people around the world to try and stop. Do you want to talk here a little bit about your role as the president of the cell phone task force and, and what you guys are involved with? Well, it was founded in 1996 at the beginning of the digital wireless revolution. Yes, there were analog 1G cell phones back in the 1980s, but the first digital cell phone and cell tower network was constructed throughout the United States in the year 1996 and 1997 and has expanded since then. And we, we founded ourselves in 1996 
to bring awareness, education, advocacy, support for aging people, uh, and uh, we're still working and uh, trying to get awareness to this issue, which which is uh, has been very difficult. What are you What are you offering in terms of um, help for people who have been injured? Well, first of all, everybody's been injured. <laughs> no, I know. But most people that have, not everybody, but the majority of people nowadays who have diabetes and, and cancer, heart disease is, is becoming uh, very multifaceted, but a lot of heart disease also, because they carry a cell phone with them. Um, so everybody's being injured. And the number of people who can't sleep, this is, this is a major effect. It's like insomnia sleep disorder, skyrocketing, tinnitus. People are hearing the electricity, as Alan Frey discovered back in the 1970s. Anxiety, depression, asthma, neurological diseases of all sorts. The injuries are so widespread and the denial is also so widespread that the medical community doesn't associate it with electricity, much less wireless, which is causing most of it nowadays because it's so intense. So um, most of the people who contact me, they call themselves electrically sensitive. That's the term we used to use in the 1980s, the 1990s. And then uh, people started calling it electro-hypersensitivity, which, which is even a crazier term for something that affects the whole human race and, and all of animal life and all of plant life, hypersensitivity. It's like you, 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 we're being electrocuted. We're, we're being poisoned by, by artificial electromagnetic field. We're, we're all being electrocuted. But the people who, who know it who have somehow learned, despite the denial of the, of the medical community and everyone else they know, they've learned what affects them and they try and escape it. That's not what we're about. There's various ways that you can minimize, to some extent, your exposure to all this stuff. Again, that's not what the cell phone task force is about. What we're about is organizing. We, we provide support. We provide a network where people can realize that they're not alone, that there's millions of people in this world that are the same as them. We're lobbying governments, we're participating in lawsuits, we're organizing, we're communicating with, with medical community, the scientific community. We're trying to bring awareness. We're trying to break through the wall of denial has been there for a couple of centuries. Um, but as far as how to protect yourself, it's becoming more and more impossible. Plus, the entire electric grid <clears throat> is now contaminated with millions of frequencies from everybody's computers that are getting on the grid because everybody's computer is either it is both on the grid and off the grid. It's wireless, but it's, but it's also wired. And, and these frequencies are coming into your house because you have electricity and you can't escape it. And it's coming through your walls because everybody's got cell phones and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and 25 other wireless devices, and you can't escape that. And now it's coming from outer space because we've, we've put into orbit already something like 9,000 satellites, and there's a million satellites more on the drawing board, and you can't escape it. So it's becoming more and more urgent to break through the denial, to educate the scientific community, to, 
to, to educate the environmental community, environmental organizations, hey, here's this major factor in environmental destruction that you are not paying attention to, please work with us. We've got to stop it. The only solution is to put an end to wireless technology. And it's not going to happen by decree. It's going to happen by education. It's going to happen by, again, breaking through the denial, getting scientists and especially doctors to finally study this. I went to medical school. We did not study this in medical school. It has to happen. People have to be educated. Wireless means radiation. Cell phones are destroying your brain and destroying your body, destroying your environment. It has to start with individuals. People have only control over their own behavior, over what they do. So what I tell people nowadays, first and foremost, get rid of your cell phone. That's the beginning of change. We have to begin change somehow. The relatively few number of people who realize what's happening to us all and who call themselves electromagnetically hypersensitive, nobody cares about us. As long as you call yourselves hypersensitive, people think, oh, that's not me. That's just a few abnormal people with a, with a medical problem. It's not me. But nobody thinks it, it, it's affecting them. They, they, they all are taking drugs and, and medications and having surgeries. They keep their cell phone in their hip pocket, and, and they, have, they can't walk. And the doctor tells them that their hips worn out, so they have hip replacements. They get pacemakers put in their hearts because they have heart arrhythmias. It's damaging people's vision. It, it, it's, people are on sleeping medications, and people have no clue why. Again, what we're focusing on right now, and I'm participating in a new organization called Global Radiation Emergency that's just forming we have members, uh, team members from 18 countries right now. And, and, and one of our main messages is, hey, get rid of your phone, cell phone. Go back to a landline if you can, because they're taking away our landlines. Why? Because nobody's using them anymore. We have to go back to landlines. We have to restore the demand for landlines. We have to diminish the demand for cell phones we have to change our behavior, which will result in a change in our environment. It can reach a critical level where awareness starts to spread throughout the world and the stuff will be banned. But that's not how we start. We have to start with individual action, and that's what we're about right now. That's really well said. And it may seem it may seem unattainable. You know, we're you're literally calling for the end of wireless communication, but based on all the history that we've talked about, and there is so much more that we haven't talked about. And, and what's not... happening on the earth today, <laughs> it's not just people are saying, well, but we're still living a long time. Well, there are still billions of us on the earth. Obviously, it's not killing us off. It is killing us off. We're, the lifespan in the United States has already started to decline. It's just started. But you look around us, and nature, nature has disappeared. Let's talk about the that. The animals, yeah. The animals, the insects, the, the, they don't have climate-controlled houses to live in. They don't have drugs and medication to keep them alive. They're going away. And this is what I've been devoting my most recent newsletters of the past few months to, 
is uh, publishing reports from all over the world of people who are describing in detail the disappearance just within the last couple of years of all of the birds that used to be so wonderful in nature. All of the insects, they're, they're gone. People are writing to me, there's no more mosquitoes left. There's no more insects. The spiders are gone. The, the worms are gone in my soil. It's like, what is happening? But the most dramatic is, is the disappearance of, of the insects and the birds, and, and that's, what, that's what is going on everywhere. It's these smallest creatures that have the highest metabolism. The, the insects, the small birds, the amphibians, the bats, and a lot of these creatures that are insectivorous birds and bats, they don't have anything to eat anymore, so they're dying out as well as the, the direct effects of the radiation on them. And we're all basically living in a virtual world, looking at our screens all the time and, and not noticing what, or seemingly caring what's happening to nature. So, yes, it, it, it's a daunting task. Can we abolish wireless technology? Maybe not. But wireless technology is not here to stay because the Earth is not here to stay unless we, unless we get rid of it. We have no choice if we want to save a, our world and have a place to live but to stop using wireless technology. Yes, there are a lot of other assaults on the Earth. We have to stop burning fossil fuels. We have to stop cutting down our forests. We have to do a lot of things. But the emergency, which is now coming from 9,000 satellites and from 15 to 20 billion mobile devices and from probably by this time 10 million cell phone towers, and now they're putting basically cell towers on the floor of the ocean and repeaters at all the levels of the ocean. So anybody that goes in or on the ocean can have a wireless connection to the rest of the world. And it's just crazy and we're wiping out life and it has to stop. We have no other choice. Maybe it's impossible, but that means we won't have an earth to live on. So we've got to try. And that's why I'm still doing my work. That's fantastic. So I want to um, just echo a couple of things that you said. I can help people in the short term. I can help people short term. There are ways to reduce personal exposure. Terrain, for example, is critical with regard to selecting your next home in terms of RF avoidance. Really hear what we're saying. We don't have a long term. <laughs> we don't have a long term future in a world where we continue to deploy wireless technologies and we won't be able to create a contrast an epidemiological contrast between those who are affected and those who are not affected the information has been out there for a long time it just hasn't been made really public so i want to encourage people to become members of the cell phone task force consider supporting financially that organization so that they can help they can continue to help bring this information forward and make it available there are some surprising benefits that you can receive from that back in 2022 you revised the radio wave packet which is really packed with very useful information for anybody who wants to understand the scientific basis for all of this there is, of course, the ongoing newsletters and 
you know, there is no, we, we want things compressed and condensed and, and given in 30 seconds. Sometimes there's no way to do that, but you can't help but to come away affected when you read the personal stories of people all over the world reporting on the decimation of species in, in their area. I, I just, I don't know any other way to get that information. So please, if you have a heart to help in this, I would encourage people to uh, become uh, supporters of the cell- cellular phone task force. Uh, the our, our website is cellphonetaskforce.org. Cellphonetaskforce.org. And if you haven't already, you know, a lot of what we discussed today is in the invisible rainbow and there's no way we could discuss it all there is much much more than than we were able to discuss so really if you want to learn more about this this topic i can't recommend a book more highly than the invisible rainbow and it has it has been a great uh, discussion we've covered a lot of ground i want to thank you again for being a guest on the emf remedy podcast appreciate it thank you All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Arthur Furstenberg. Remember, I can help you reduce personal exposure today. You should reduce personal exposure today for your sake and for your family's sake. But our tomorrow, our tomorrow is up to us all. We need to consider our children and our grandchildren the current path society is traveling with regard to harmful man-made electromagnetic radiation is unsustainable, especially wireless technologies, especially wireless of all forms. I hope this has been a blessing to you. Please, if you have a heart to help us in producing and distributing this type of content, consider becoming a financial supporter of the show. Link is in the description or emfremedy.com slash donate. Writing a review, especially on Apple Podcast, is a help. Most important, please pray that our efforts here will be a blessing to many. Keith Cutter, emfremedy.com. See you next time. The EMF Remedy Podcast is a project of EMF Remedy, LLC. We'd like to be your trusted guide for achieving a better EMF environment in your home. The contents on this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and are not intended to substitute for the advice provided by your doctor or other healthcare professional. It is not intended to be, nor does it constitute healthcare or medical advice. Opinions of guests on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the EMF Remedy Podcast.